Hi, you're listening to Melanie Mergen from the Globe Gazette. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of 2021, 10 Successful Years of the Historic Park Inn. Joining us here today is Ann Schmidt, a retired Mason City teacher and a Mason City native who serves as a volunteer for Right on the Park. Welcome, Ann. Hi, thanks for having me. How long have you been volunteering for Ride on the Park and what made you want to get involved? Um, I've probably been a volunteer about three years. Um, I am retired and my last school year was 2017 and kind of took a whole year off. But then after that, kind of looked for things to start getting involved with. Um, and I, so I do volunteer. I volunteer at the Stockman House and for Ride on the Park. I sit on a couple of committees there. Um, I think living in the neighborhood, I kind of live by the Stockman House. And of course, then close to the hotel, that's kind of piqued my interest in getting involved with that. Um, I also live with a husband who has a lot more knowledge um, about this. And he's in the construction business. So I just kind of have absorbed some of that information through him too. So along with the ride on the park, I also do like the walking tours because they offer walking tours in the summer months, spring and summer months. And then I do do cashiering at the Stockman house too. And so if other people are also thinking about volunteering, how do you suggest they go about that? Well, if they want to volunteer for um, the Ride on the Park, um, they can call Ride on the Park. Uh, their phone number is actually 641-423-0689 if they want to volunteer or, find, or get involved in some way. There's a lot of different opportunities that they could get involved with. So if they want to do that, that would be great. And also being a Mason City native, what are some of your early memories about the historic park inn? Well, I remembering it being really old, run down, not a great part of town right by the hotel. Um, I also, I do remember then the, where the, the ballroom is at, which was the bank. I remember that being retail space. And I do have a, a fond memory of that area. Um, but I also had no idea growing up the history of those buildings, that's for sure. For people who are still unaware of the history, this episode should be pretty helpful because Anne today is going to be pulling out the history books or more specifically information from one book in particular. Uh, so what are we talking about today, Anne? I'm going to be talking specifically about the bank part of the historic um, park in hotel. Um, and actually the information that I'm going to be talking about was gathered from a book. Uh, it's called the historic park in hotel and city national bank. And it was prepared for right on the park by Catherine Hahn in 2007, who was a grad student in historic preservation. The book was edited by Pat Schultz and right on the park board of directors from 2008 to 2010 um, the book, The Historic Park Inn Hotel and City National Bank, is available at right on the park office. And that office is located on the plaza just south of the hotel ballroom. In 1873, the city bank was founded on the southeast corner of Main Street, 
which is today Federal Avenue and State Street, where currently where Mormon Clothiers is located. So this bank was founded by Thomas Emsley. When Thomas died, his wife Mary became the president for several years. In 1891, the bank incorporated and changed its name to City National Bank, with James Rule elected as the bank's first president under the new name. Now, this was a great time for Mason City. It was a growing time. Between the years of 1910 and 1920 were referred to the golden age of Mason City, partly because farming was booming, and there, but there was also successful brick and tile factory, a sugar beet plant, meat packing plant, and flourishing cement plants, along with Mason City as a major connecting point for the railroad. In 1908, City National Bank toyed with remodeling the interior of the bank, but it was decided to build a new bank across the street where the hotel ballroom is located. So the southwest corner of Maine, which is today federal, and State Street. This decision to build may have been influenced by the competitor, Charles McNiter, and his plans to build the first national bank on the northeast corner of Maine and State Street. Now, the firm of Blythe, Markley, Rule, and Smith was a respected and sought-after law firm in Mason City, and by 1900 was one of the largest in the state and growing. This made it necessary for them to consider expansion. The majority of the lawyers were stockholders in the bank and wanted to commission work that would include a new bank to compete with McNiter's first national bank. It would also include improved law offices for the firm, a hotel, rental offices, and mercantile space. In 1908, they set out to find an architect. Markley's daughters, Marion and Doris, attended the Hillside Home School in Spring Green, Wisconsin. Jane and Ellen Lloyd-Jones, the aunts of Frank Lloyd Wright, operated the school. And Frank Lloyd Wright had just completed the second building at the school, a stone structure in the Prairie School style. This connection of Markley's daughters, the school, and Frank Lloyd Wright is how Markley and Wright became friends. In 1908, Wright received the Bank and Hotel Commission. Wright's love of organic expression made him the forerunner of a new modern American architectural style. This prairie school style was based on the development of a strong relationship to the horizontal nature of the prairie, gaining its horizontal strength from low-pitched, broadly projecting hip roofs with broad, low chimneys, strong horizontal moldings, and bands or ribbons of windows. Now, a little history about where that land, where the City National Bank sits, about the land. It was owned by William Weir. He acquired this land in 1870. In 1874, under threat of litigation, he placed the title of the land with his friend H.C. Day to hold for him. Once the threat had passed, Day would not return the land. Weir did try to regain the land, 
when he sued Day in the late 1870s, but was defeated because he transferred the land to Day with fraudulent intent to avoid losing it in a lawsuit. In 1903, Day died and deeded the land to his sister, Hattie Ogden. 52 years later, in 1926, Mrs. Adams, a descendant of William Weir, purchased the land back. Okay, now back to the bank. The bank had a two-story banking room with a top floor dedicated to rental offices. The appearance of a second floor misled the observer as clear story windows brought natural light into the banking rooms and provided for a 16 foot high ceiling. The second floor, what would appear from the outside as the third floor housed rental office space. The upper floor east facade had five large windows separated by vertical brick columns. The north facade had nine windows. Ornamental colored terracotta tiles adorned the upper shafts of the brick columns, adding color to the otherwise plain exterior. A wide eave, typical of the prairie style, capped the structure. Wright described the design of the bank building. The walls of the bank, 16 feet high from the sidewalk, are a solid mass, unbroken by openings, the entrance and upper windows are guarded by heavy bronze castings so that the bank itself is a strong box, splendidly lighted and ventilated. When entering the bank, customers saw three tellers windows placed in the center of a large banking room. A fireproof freestanding brick vault rose behind the teller island. The vault looked impressive when walking in. However, that front was all for show. The real entrance to the vault was through a door on the side. The bank also included clear story windows with grills and the art glass skylights over the officer's rooms. Four Spirit of Mercury light fixtures contained statues of Mercury designed by Richard Bach, rose from the Teller Island. Mercury fostered abundance and prosperity and consequently was adopted as the patron of commerce and finance which seems fitting for a bank. Wright described the Mesa City Bank building as a strong box on a large scale, a well-aired and lighted fireproof vault. The law firm of Blythe, Markley, Rule, and Smith were located on the second floor above the bank. The law firm remained above the City National Bank until sometime between 1916 and 1918. They moved to be near one of their main clients, the Denison Brick and Tile Company. The Brick and Tile Building started construction in 1915 and is located on the corner of State and Michigan Street, which is now Delaware Avenue. Frank Lloyd Wright's City National Bank and Hotel design sparked a prairie school movement in the city. Several blocks east of the hotel and bank the Rockcrest Rock Glen neighborhood emerged as a premier example of prairie school style. The first house was built for Dr. G.C. Stockman. Wright saw this house through to completion in 1908, but he was not present for the bank and hotel's completion because he had run off to Europe with Manny Cheney. William Drummond oversaw the completion of the hotel. 
The bank operated successfully and even expanded occupying neighboring spaces. There was also a renovation in 1917. In 1921, the City National Bank and Commercial Savings Bank merged to form City Commercial Savings Bank. As Pat alluded to in her podcast, there was a renovation proposed and all banking was moved to Commercial Savings Bank down the block. The bank hotel ballroom was vacated. However, the remodeling never took place. As you may recall from history lessons, in the 1920s, the farming industry experienced a major economic downturn and led to numerous banks closing in Iowa. The City Commercial Savings Bank was a victim of these difficult times and declared bankruptcy between 1925 and 1926. This left Mason City with one bank, First National Bank. And at one time, there were five banks in town. In 1926, the Adams family started a renovation on the bank building consisting of converting the bank quarters into retail space. To create more office space, the major alteration dropped the first floor to grade level and installed a second floor between the top floor and the floor of the high banking space. Single pane glass storefronts separated by granite columns for multiple retail spaces replaced the solid brick facade of the bank building. The third story windows, ornamental detailing and roof overhang remained unaltered, showing the building's original form and style. The interior space was entirely gutted and remodeled. The bank vault, teller's windows, box statues, art glass window, skylights, and ornamental urns were either hidden from view or moved to other locations. This new and improved building was known as the Weir Building. Throughout the years, many different retail businesses have, have occupied the bank space. Although there have been many changes to the right building, it also led to a commercial building that was economically viable until 2007 when it was purchased by Right on the Park Incorporated to rehabilitate the entire bank and hotel building to its original architectural integrity. If you would like more information about the bank and of course Park Inn Hotel, you can always consider a docent guided tour. And then I'll repeat that information for Right on the Park office, you can call 641-423-0689. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Anne. And thanks for letting me share. Well, that wraps things up for now. We'll see you again next month on the next episode of 2021, 10 Successful Years of the Historic Park Inn. Until then.